Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. How are you feeling this morning? You know what this group is called? This is a group that does not care about the World Cup. If you've never been to a multicultural church before, if you've only been to American church, there's people who care about things that aren't the Super Bowl. And this weekend, we have things like the World Cup happening, and uh, that's actually important to some people. I don't understand it either. I get it. Everybody knows this weekend is about the Tour de France, and um, that's what I'll be watching when I get home. I got this thing I have to, uh, uh, I have to like not look at social media, you know, like because I follow, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in cycling, you know, I'm a cyclist. And so I follow, believe it or not, there's actually people who do that. I know that may sound odd to some people. And uh, so all my social media contacts are in cycling. So if I look at social media, the race will be, and it's a five-hour race. And you know what it's like to spoil a five-hour event? So that's what I'll be doing after church. And uh, I, I, think, I think the World Cup will be over by the time service is over. Hallelujah. So you know what? We'll find out who wins anyways, right? Hallelujah. How many, how many people here are for France today? Is there anybody for France? Are we all Croatian today? Is everybody else Croatian today? Ah, Lillian's up here still getting uh, blasted. Hey, uh, I want to wish a happy birthday to my daughter, Anastasia. Stand up if you would. She turned 15 this weekend. Hallelujah. Nice quinceanera. We didn't have one, but... Uh, we called it that, though, so that's just like having one. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, uh, before we get started here, um, I would like anybody who's involved with our GO team, whether it's the, uh, the, the homeless ministry, the, the feeding, the um, evangelism, the, um, the, uh, I can, the, um, the, uh, visit, the, the, the services and outreaches at the uh, assisted living facilities, uh, the jail, um, and um, also, I, I got people trying to help me preach. I really, I got the message. I really do. As well as um, the Broward Outreach Center. Uh, any of those places, uh, if you minister there, if you would stand up for me, please. This is those. They're not doing this for applause, but uh, I would like the ministry team to pray for these folks. And the ministry team, is anybody standing near them? Or not standing near them who wants to pray for them anyways. Just go ahead and put a, sh- a hand on their shoulder. Ha! And just put a hand on their fire in the name of the Lord. And just begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, begin to lift your voices. Pray. Father, that you would give them more power, more anointing, fresh visitation. Jesus. Jesus, that you would pour into their cup, Lord, that you would uh, multiply their time since they devote their time to you, Lord, that you would multiply their time. Father, they would have, um, you would multiply the anointing on their life. You would multiply their finances, Jesus, and pray for souls, souls, that they would have souls. Come on, lift your voice. Souls, souls. Jesus, we're praying for souls, praying for souls. And right now, we just actively forgive those who found the World Cup more important than your word today, Jesus. We, we bear no offense toward them. 
Amen. Hey, give it up for those who are serving there, if you would. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who was here Friday night? Wow, that was amazing, wasn't it? It was so good Friday night. Uh, we have the burning room Friday night, and uh, it was supposed to be a time where we just kind of soak in the presence, and uh, the word of the Lord came that we we're going to have prophetic refreshing. And I don't even know what that meant when uh, the word came. We had to kind of figure it out, and we just set up some chairs, and people received prophetic ministry, presence of God, power, people were refreshed. You know, real refreshing comes in the presence of God, right? Amen? Amen. Hearing his uh, words, getting his direction, getting his perspective on life, that's where real refreshing happens. Life begins with knowing the Father. Amen? Stretch your hand towards Lillian real quick, if you would. Just say more. More, Jesus. Fresh encounters, Jesus. Catch her up, Lord. Catch her up in your glory, Jesus. Catch her up in your glory. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, hey, it's going to be a good day today. It's going to be a good day today. The non-worshipping uh, World Cup crew here. I'm joking, of course. We had a pretty crowded first service, which is odd normally. Normally, first service looks like this. Second service is more. Today, all of a sudden, people wanted to get to church early. They must have really been excited about the Word of God. They wanted that fresh revelation, the fresh, fresh meat. Fresh bread, right? They wanted the fresh bread. Hallelujah. I moved my mic around, so now it's making sounds. I'll, I'll put it back where it was. Tech team, it's not your fault, it's mine. <clears throat> I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to recover. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm stalling. This is prophetic stalling at this moment. <clears throat> Starting a new message series is supposed to be one, one service, one, uh, but I knew there was no way I was going to get it done in one message. So I decided to be two messages. Uh, after uh, the first service today, if I get it done in two messages, it will be very, very, it will be miraculous, right? The glory of God will have uh, dwelled in the temple if that were to happen. But you never know. God could do anything, right? Uh, except make a preacher preach short, right? So um, let's just pray real quick before we start. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your, your life and your presence today. Ah, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. And we thank you that you have a plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I spend the majority of time at Revival Life Church. I preach through the New Testament more than anything. I don't preach out of the Old Testament a lot. Not um, for any particular reason other than I just really like the words in red. I really like them. I like to talk about the words in red. I like to talk about uh, what the people did in reaction to the words of red. I study the words in red more than anything else. Uh, and I preach out of the words in red uh, as well as the book of Acts a lot. Amen? Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm sharing out of the Old Testament today. Um, and so I have a challenge in that I study the New Testament a lot. So when I get to a section, I've already studied that section so I can put it in perspective with other things that I'm studying at the current time. It all kind of matches together. As I'm studying the Old Covenant, all of a sudden I'm seeing lots of stuff that I have not studied in depth yet. And uh, what I'm going to be talking about today, I'm going to be talking about the rebuilding of the wall as a, as a, a pretext for uh, my point. Um, but um, as many of you know who have studied the scriptures, you could talk about the rebuilding of the wall in that entire season in the, in, in, in the history of Israel. Uh, you could preach that for a year, right? There's just, 
just the shadows, types and shadows of Christ, about the redemption of people, about, I mean, there's just, you could go on and on and on about God redeeming his people, calls, encouraging, I mean, it's just, it goes on forever. And so I am going to try to give you just like a really abbreviated teaching, so abbreviated that if you have studied it all, you might be offended that I'm going to leave out your favorite part, whatever it is. All right. So the teachers out there uh, who, who like, you can't even teach on that without talking about this. I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. So just get over the offense and forgiveness cycle just right now. So you can just come into this with a pure heart. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, so, you know, um, I'm going to give you, you know, there were the Jews, right? There was the, the, the children of Israel, right? There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, where it started, right? And uh, they uh, were, were looking for a, a, a city whose builder and maker was God. And uh, they eventually were uh, enslaved in Egypt. Now, I've already fast-forwarded pretty good, haven't I? They were enslaved in Egypt. And uh, Moses brought them out of Egypt, which we call the Exodus, right? And uh, it took them a, a, a way longer than it needed to, but they wound up in the promised land. How about that for fast-forward? Now, here's a little something, a side note I'd like to tell you about that. Uh, they were supposed to go a pretty short journey from captivity to freedom. Pretty short journey. But they decided to do things their own way, with their own wisdom. And the longest distance between two points is your plan. The shortest distance between two points is God's plan. The absolute shortest way to get there is God's way. And so God will tell us, I need you to do that. And you're like, oh, I really don't think that's the season for this, God. You, what you're saying is, I would prefer a longer way to get to where I want to go. <laughs> Every time you argue with God, you're telling him, I think I'd just like to make this take longer. Wow. I, I think we could do it quickly, but I think longer would be more fun. Let's just, I'd really like to drag this season out. This would be awesome. Let's just drag this out for a very long time. Just go there? No, I want to keep circling a mountain in the desert. That would be so much better, right? Like, And so, you know, this, this story, um, eventually they woke up and they wound up in the promised land. Uh, but like all of biblical history, following God isn't always their first priority, right? And so little things would happen like they'd be conquered by people and, and many other people were murdered, right? Like these kind of things would happen. And uh, as, as time went on, uh, the Babylonians conquered uh, uh, Judah, right? Conquered Jerusalem. And uh, they took many of the best people of the land uh, in what was called the exile. And they sent them off uh, in, into Babylon. They were uh, taken out of their promised land and into Babylon. <clears throat> and uh, as time went on, um, Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, conquered the Babylonians. So Persia, uh, the Persians uh, conquered the Babylonians. All right, you're following me now, right? So the people who took the Jews out of uh, Jerusalem uh, were conquered by some other people. And basically at this point, Cyrus had conquered all of the known lands at that point, right? And he declared himself uh, to be king over all the kingdoms of the world at that point because he had conquered all the kingdoms. Now, another side note, if I can just kind of give you a little biblical interpretive uh, lens, that's mine. I'm not necessarily saying this is perfect doctrine, but this is what I am telling you as someone who didn't finish high school, right? Um, 
in the scriptures, they were dealing at times with limited knowledge. I, I want you to hear this. You know, we discovered that the earth is round. God didn't. It was always round to God. Are you with me? And so it's many of the writers of, of the scriptures, they didn't have language for stuff God was showing them. Right? And so they would talk about like the earth. They didn't say it was flat, but there was the earth and then there was heaven and then there was hell, right? That's kind of the language of the scriptures. Beneath is hell, above is heaven. The only problem is if you go beneath far enough, you get to Asia, which clearly isn't hell, right? Like it's, but, but the way they were, are, are you hearing me? I'm not offending anybody, right? I'm not, I'm not destroying the scriptures for you here, right? And so their understanding of the pit, pit must be lower, hell is down, heaven is up, skies above, skies good, below is hell, bad. And so there's like this, this language that almost makes it look like the world through their knowledge was flat, but God never thought the world was flat. Are you with me? And there, there's, a, there's a pretty good argument to be made that during what they called the flood, the flood was the entire world was flooded. And there's actual evidence of the area that they lived in at that time being flooded there is not evidence of a flood all over the whole planet. So what does that mean? Is the Bible wrong? It's possible that when they talk about the whole world, that means their whole known world was flooded. Right? And so they said the world. And so, oh, you must be talking about the globe. Not necessarily. Right? When you say my world was rocked, does that mean that the earth split in two? No. Now, I'm not trying to fit something in the Bible because the Bible doesn't say it. That's not what's happening. Right? But I'm telling you, we have to interpret the word of God correctly. When you read the book of Revelation or you read uh, Daniel or you read Ezekiel, they start having some, some, some symbolism that doesn't make any sense because they don't have words for what they saw. You, and the best example is the wheel within the wheel. Right? You may know what I'm talking about, the wheel within the wheel. Nobody believes that the world is being run by two tires or two gears right? But he had no idea what he was looking at. And so he's like, it's like a wheel. And then it looked like there was another wheel, right? Or you look at the four creatures, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be like, oh, oh, that's, oh. But how do you describe something with multiple eyes? Like, how do you even, you don't have language for it. So you're like, and it had eyes all over you. Like, Oh, it was all seeing. Oh, there's, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's language that they're, these are people who wrote the Bible inspired by, by God. Right. But now I'm just, don't throw stones at me. Not everything in here is truth because we have records of people lying. Right. Like you could say adultery is biblical because it's in the Bible but it's wrong, right? Like, are you with me? And I said this before, we have to take very, we have to take great care in how we handle the word of God. Because we can justify anything we want to justify using this word right here. Any errant, any, any you know, uh, racial superiority, oppression, slavery, we could justify it all if we don't handle this carefully. We don't reflect the heart of God if we don't handle this carefully. Right? And so we have to, um, I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to go down a bunny trail, further down the bunny trail. And so, <clears throat> and so I say that to say, 
the Cyrus, king of Persia, had declared, now I have conquered the whole world. Right? And, so, and he had, in their mind, he had conquered all the kingdoms of the world. There were no other kingdoms that they knew of that he didn't conquer. Right? Clearly, when he says, I've conquered the whole world, he doesn't mean I have a station in Australia. I have a station in North America. You know, wherever there might be a human, I, have a, I own that. Right? That's not what he was saying. He's saying in the known world. Are you with me? Yep. Right? It's important that we, that we rightly divide the word of truth. So, uh, so but he did... Everybody who was anybody, as far as our story goes, he was the man. He was the king. And when the Babylonians conquered everybody, they would destroy their culture, as we saw with the children of Israel. He would take away their best and brightest, and he would destroy their cultures. When Cyrus came along, he said, we're just going to get things back into order. And he was rebuilding other people's kingdoms within his kingdom, right? And so along with that, he decided at some point that we're going to rebuild Jerusalem. Are you following me? If you're a Bible teacher and you have a high-level Bible education, send me an email on how I just butchered any of that, all right? And I'll be more than happy to read it. Praise Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's mostly right. Okay, the, the MDiv said amen, so I'm pretty good. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, and so uh, Cyrus um, got a guy named um, Zerubbabel, and I don't know who, and you didn't like your name in school. <laughs> Zerubbabel, no one can spell it, and he's the last one picked always, right? <laughs> you got to figure, though, at some point, people are just making up names because there were no names, right? Yeah. Right? And so, you know, they're just using stuff, right? So anyway, Zerubbabel, uh, they get him, and he sent Zerubbabel back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the kingdom. They say you could rebuild your place of worship, that you can worship your God. And he sent just short of 50,000 people, 49,000 some people from each little sect and uh, with skill sets and whatnot. And he sent them back. And I really would encourage you to maybe look at this entire story because it's amazing. It's really amazing. Uh, and it, it's, it's detailed in the books of Ezra and the books, book of Nehemiah, which originally were one book. And at some point people decided we're just going to split it up based on the perspectives, but uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Esther all tell this story. And it's really, really an amazing story. Uh, and you can't tell the story of the building of the wall without what happened in Esther. It's just all very amazing. But what we find is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they sent these people back to rebuild the wall, and that's far more difficult than they thought it was going to be, right? But they had a plan originally, and they started off well. As we look at Ezra chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. They're there, a bunch of untrained people in building stuff, start building, and they say, now when the seventh month came and the sons of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Now, this is really, really, really important. When we're going to do something for God, it's important that we get on one accord. Do you remember hearing that in the scriptures later on? God moves when we're in one place in one accord. Amen? When we're joined together with one purpose, there really is no demon in hell that can stop us. Nothing. And so these people were together in one place as one person in Jerusalem. And what they decided to do, though, they had the city walls were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. It's all not working. And uh, the, the, the logical thing to do is start rebuilding the buildings so we can start using them. But these people had a kingdom perspective. Verse 3, it says, So they set up, they're all in one accord, 
So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Now, let me tell you what this means. When they were exiled from um, Jerusalem to Babylon, uh, they didn't take everybody. They left. There was a certain number of people that weren't taken away. And unfortunately, this was a lot of people who weren't as handy. But these people who stayed behind in Jerusalem did not keep the law. They didn't keep the ways of God. Many of them intermarried. Many of them began to practice the customs of the local land. Now, uh, I'm okay with mixed marriages. If you know me, I am okay with mixed marriages. I'm in a mixed marriage. Amen. My wife is the product of a mixed marriage. We're in a mixed church. Mixing is great. And uh, I'm okay with that, right? If you're not in one, get out of the one you're in and go, no, just joking. No, 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 um, <laughs> no, nay, brother. <clears throat> um, um, but what they're talking about here about mixed marriage is not, not skin color and not even necessarily um, uh, ethnicity. They're talking about mixed beliefs in God, mixed followers. And, and, uh, and I told this the first service, but my, my mother-in-law comes first service. And uh, my wife has uh, two ethnicities. Uh, she is, um, has African descent because her dad was a black American. And she has Jewish uh, heritage because her mother is Jewish. Uh, and I don't mean Jewish religion. She's saved, praise Jesus. Uh, but I'm talking about Jewish um, ethnicity. Uh, and so uh, the Jews had this thing because God told them, hey, don't intermarry with anybody, right? He told them lots of stuff, but this is the one they actually kept, right? And so he said, when I did a, when I did a DNA test, because I'm, I'm uh, what do we say? I'm diverse. I'm diverse. I'm ethnically diverse, right? So I did my uh, DNA test, and I was most of the stuff I thought, and really neat because I traced my lineage back to the 1700s in, in, in Ireland and, and uh, Germany, and then all the, the records are in languages I don't speak, and then the Fs look like Ss, and I couldn't read the documents, and I figured that's good enough, right? So um, I did all mine, and it was kind of neat because I got to trace it back, and so we did my wife's DNA test, and my wife, it turned out, is black and Jewish, right? Like, that's it. That's what she is. <laughs> That's it, right? Um, and uh, um, and uh, uh, and which is really funny to me. And let me let me tell you why that was so funny. Because uh, her her um, mother's parents uh, were from Germany and Russia. So at some point, when the Jews were kind of kicked out of Israel and they moved made their way to Europe, um, she is her 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 ethnicity, her genetics are purely um, Jewish from the German and uh, Russian region, but the genetics are the same. They're not, you know, you're Russian, you're German. No, you are Jewish. And we know that Jewish people lived in these regions, but you could have been Jewish from nearly anywhere because your genetics were stayed pure. And what's really interesting about that is we're talking about as far back as genetics go, these people only married other Jews. It stayed pure until my mother-in-law. We're literally talking about thousands of years of people <laughs> staying like, this is it. This is our people. And then my mother-in-law comes along and says, that's probably long enough, right? Like, <laughs> I think we're done with that now. Let's just move on, right? And then my wife completely sold out. And now here we are, right? <laughs> now we have my family. 
right? Like according to Jewish law, my kids have one more shot to keep the Jewish thing going and then it's over. Three strikes, you're out. That's it. And so that's it. And so it was really important to God that they stay pure and they don't intermarry because they know when you intermarry, you, you adopt the lifestyle of the people you intermarry with. And uh, so when they came back from Persia, are you following me here? So when they were brought, mm, more on you there, Lillian. Just stretch your hand to Lillian. Just fire on her. Mm, fire on her, Jesus. Ah, you can't get up till he's done, Lillian. Thank you, Jesus. I got to go to the bathroom. Nobody cares. Fire on her, Jesus. Put a, put a thing on her there, Isaac. Fire on her, Lord. Anyway, so, um, mm, so, um, <clears throat> so when the Jews came um, out of Persia back, they had still uh, maintained their identity, but they came upon some people who did not, right? And the, and the local people um, were not really excited about these people coming back, reestablishing the temple. And so they knew, like, when we come, oh my goodness, when we come and we establish this thing, let me say it this way. When you start standing for something, people who don't stand for something will persecute you. You want to start following God? You, you're going to hear problems from people who aren't following God. Those are the people who are going to come at you. Like you live your life wild and crazy, doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Your family was, oh, well, he'll get through it. You start following Jesus, all of a sudden they're worried about you. All of a sudden, they're worried about you. Like, well, how about when I was going to hell? Why weren't you worried then? <laughs> Why are you worried now? This makes absolutely going to church a lot. Yeah, I was going to hell before. Now I'm going to church. What's the problem? <laughs> right? You start following God, and all of a sudden, people who aren't following God, hear me, get convicted. That thing manifests, and they want to make you stop because your righteousness convicts them. Yeah. Right? It's not being judgmental. Don't be judgmental. You don't have to be judgmental. Your righteousness convicts people. You just be in love, you follow God, and all of a sudden the conviction of God will work on its own. And they'll think they have a problem with you, but they have a problem with their own lack of righteousness. They have a problem with their own disobedience. They know there's a better way. And if, we, if nobody says anything about it, if we keep it quiet, then we can all live in peace, not following God. Amen? But instead, someone starts following it, messes up the whole plan. Now they got to kick you out of the friend group because you're making them convicted. And so the Jews come back and they start to reestablish the temple. And these people know, hey, if they start following God, what does that mean for us in our marriages? Hey, let us help you out. They're like, no, we don't need your help. We know what you bring to the table. You bring compromise. And I can't, I can't build the altar with compromise. I can't build the relationship with Jesus with compromise. The enemy can lie to you and make you think that you can compromise and continue to follow God. But you and I know you can't. All you're doing is making it take longer. All you're doing is making the, the route take longer, the promise be farther off, the blessing be farther away. That's all we do. We make it take longer. Amen? I want to finish them tests. I don't want to keep taking them over and over until I pass. I just want to finish them and move on. Amen? And so in Ezra 3.3, it says, again, we're going to read it one more time. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They knew the only way we're going to get ahead in this thing is get God's presence and power. If we don't have God behind us, this whole thing is going to fail and we're all going to be destroyed. And we do not want that. So instead of building the beautiful altar, instead of building the, um, excuse me, the beautiful temples before building the walls, they built the altar. And they started offering sacrifices. Hear me. You can't go to church and be Christian. If it's not you interacting with Jesus Christ, if you've not been born again, if you've not come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to the Father, none of it matters. 
None of it matters. We've got to come through the altar of sacrifice and Jesus Christ is upon it. Amen? And, and if that is not the center of church, if that's not the center of what our gathering is about, then what are we doing? What are we doing if people can't meet Jesus there? If it's not through, I mean, we can have a, a neat club. We can have neat social activities. We can do all kind of neat stuff. But if Jesus Christ, the presence and power of God, and if we don't come into, into contact with that sacrifice, then we're not actually building the church. We're building another club with a religious name. Are you with me? It has a form of godliness, but lacks the power thereof. We need the power of God so we can do the things of God. Amen? You have to have that altar at the very set. It has to be the very first thing that you build. When I started this church, I started as an outreach, and I had been a part of a church plant that went sideways. And since that, we were, my wife and I were kind of hurt in our woundedness. We said, we're not starting another church. We refuse to start another church. We're just going to do an outreach. It's never going to become a church. And to my shame, God tricked me into starting a church. <laughs> right? In the midst of my disobedience, his... his um, his plans were more important than my plans, and I slowly yielded to him until I recognized that he had tricked me into doing what he wanted me to do all along. And it wound up way better than what we thought it was going to be. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and so the problem is when you start building buildings, people think we're done. The goal is a building, because to most people, church is a building. Right? And so we said... A building is never going to be an idol for us. So we spent almost a decade portable. And I, people say, hey, when, when you guys get a building? I'm not even thinking about getting a building. You get a building, people settle down, right? Then now, now you've settled. Now you've, uh, you took territory. Now you're done taking territory. Now you're just cultivating, right? Now you're just tending the land. There's no new lands. And I said, we're just not going to do that until the Lord tells us this is what we need to do. And so the Lord told us, hey, you need to go and get a building. You need to believe God for, you need to believe me for building this year. And so my wife began to pray and, and just really contend. And we got a building. And I said, hey, we cannot allow this to be a place of settling. Amen. We can't say, God, thanks for what you did. Uh, we'll catch you when we need you again. Now, now we got this, right? And so when we moved in here, uh, the first meeting we had, first public meeting we had was a, a burning room. Right? We, we started the burning room again here first thing because the presence and power of God, we want to be the center of what we do. We're not ashamed of Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed of the moves of the Spirit. We're not ashamed of the gifts. We want His presence and power in this church. Started a message series when we first moved in, presence and power of God. Why? Because I want the most important thing to be the presence and power of God. Amen. And first things matter. Amen? Amen? What you do with your check, the first thing matters. Right? That's why we call it the tithe. It's the first. It matters. So then we started, uh, we started fire starters in here because we wanted to keep it going. That was, we wanted to kick it off to keep people burning for God. We just started Tuesday morning prayer again. Like we want people to come into the presence and power of God. It's, it's important. It's, it, it's, 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 it's what we do. But what they found in, in Israel was they started off rebuilding the temple with the altar and then they got tired. They got tired, and uh, when we start getting tired, we stop being careful, and we stop uh, minding the important things. We, we get complacent, we get lackadaisical, and we stop taking care of the important things. Maybe you got married, and you stopped making your, your spouse important. Maybe you started getting uh, um, financially blessed, and you stopped being generous. We stop minding the things that are important. We stop growing, and then things start dying. Amen? And so, uh, in... in um, what we found in this house was we, we, we started our outreach on just 
revival, the presence and power of God, people getting strongly impacted with the presence and power of God. Uh, and then we didn't deal with all the things that that would birth. And then some people decided to use that anointing for their own purposes. Believe it or not, that happens. And so some people say, uh, we would have people come and they would say, look at this anointing. I can build my ministry on that. As if the presence of God is a stepping stone to something else. And some people did that, and it caused us uh, great, great harm. Um, and uh, we, 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 weren't, we didn't have the wisdom. And sometimes you have to go through things like that to learn. Sometimes that's the only way we learn is going through, going through challenges like that. But this happened to them as well. And what happened was they started off uh, uh, building the altar, and then they got tired, and they stopped building. And they started saying, hey, getting older now, getting a little tired. Let's just work on our own houses. Let's, just, let's build our own ministries, so to speak. Let's stop building the house of God and let's start building my life, right? And so we see the prophet Haggai uh, chimes in on this. We look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm going way too long. And uh, I need you guys to let me move on here. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people says, now this is God saying, you all are saying, the time has not come even, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. God's like, you're saying yourselves, we don't even need to build the house of God. It's not time for that. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one's warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What is he saying here? Many times we, we, we had the glory of God propelling us to do great things. Then all of a sudden we stopped taking care of that source. We made ourselves a source. Now all of a sudden we're just not seeing what we once saw. The presence and power of God not only prospers us, but it preserves us. And when you're in that presence, God tells you to do things. He challenges you, hear me, to grow. He challenges us to grow in love, grow in purpose, grow in power, to go out and do scary things. And at times, we, people can get to the place where you're like, oh, I like the goosebumps, but I don't necessarily like the challenge. And we somehow learn to get what we want from God, but not what he wants us to have. And then we wonder why we're not getting where he wants us to be. And so in this house, and I'm just going long here, please forgive me. And I'm not about to wind down quite yet. Um, <clears throat> and so there were people who had the promises of God, but they weren't seeing the prosperity because they intermarried, right? And the people moved in and they cooled off and they weren't any better. <clears throat> Let me say it this way. When you have a boat and your boat is in the ocean, that's good, right? If you're in the ocean and you have a boat, that's good, right? When the ocean is in your boat, that's bad. Boat in the ocean, ocean in the boat. And so we see the church of Jesus Christ. When the church is in the world, that's good. When the world is in the church, that's bad. Yeah. Now we're not actually accomplishing anything. Hear me. I'm not talking about inviting the world to come experience the church. I'm talking about when the church yeah. 
starts looking like the world. When the church starts looking like the world, when the world is in the church, all of a sudden it's not the presence and power of God. It's we can't offend people. We can't, are righteousness offending you? Well, maybe we're wrong. Oh, wait a minute. Holiness looks like us and that makes you uncomfortable. Maybe holiness is the problem. Maybe these words don't mean what they actually clearly say in the word. Maybe, maybe we've gone past the word of God. Maybe we've matured from the word of God because everybody should be accepted in the house of God. And all of a sudden, the church starts looking like the world. Now, I'm not talking about some old evangelical, conservative, we hate people and we call it righteousness, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about if there is not the presence and power of God, the fire, the anointing, the fire on the altar that is here to get people to, close to God, then what are we accomplishing? Yeah. If we're not a people who obey his voice, then who are we? Are you with me? Yeah. Church in the world, good. World in the church, Bad. And what we've discovered here is your culture protects your values, right? And we talk about this. Your culture protects your values. And we want a culture in our church that protects our value that the center of who we are is the presence and power of God, yeah. right? This is who we are. And so we need to develop a culture out of that reality of the presence and power of God that protects our values, in our family, we value the presence and power of God. I'm talking about my family. We value what happens when you gather with other believers. Therefore, in our church culture, we go to church. I mean, our family culture, we go to church. Yeah. Hey, something's coming up on that Sunday. Well, I guess I'm not doing that thing because I'm going to church. Amen. We're loving Jesus. This is who we are. We forgive. We're generous. I don't know if we have money to keep up that thing for compassion. No, no, no. We give. I don't know if we have money to tithe this week. Maybe we shouldn't pay God and we'll pay. the. No, no, no. No, no, no. Our culture protects our values, and our value is generous towards God. Amen. Right? Our value in our family is that we don't walk in judgment and bitterness of other people. And we have a culture where my wife and I will call each other out if we get bitter. Right? We were in bed last night talking about the, some, some issue, and I was like, honey, you know, I know we see things differently, and this is what I see. I need you to let me know if, you, if that sounds bitter, but this is what I'm seeing. Because I want to protect my heart. And I want a culture that protects my values in my family. Does this make sense? Yeah. We, we value um, our kids' safety. And so we have a culture in our family where strangers, you know, like, especially when my daughter was young, she's not spending the night. Yeah. Period. It's just not happening. She's not spending the night. And my daughter's like, Wah. I remember my daughter saying, you know, one in a thousand kids get, you know, get, listen, I got a daughter, and it only takes one inappropriate action for a child to get scarred. Amen? Yeah. Once. My daughter's like, one in a thousand. And I'm like, that one ain't going to be you, because you'll be here. <laughs> It'll be right here in our, in our house. <laughs> it might be one in a thousand. I'll pray for that one, because it's not going to be you. <laughs> right? And our kids going to be like, oh, gosh, you guys are so... But we, my, my wife was a professional counselor before she was in ministry, and I... Pastor people, and I talk to people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s are still dealing with the, being molested when they're nine. Well, yeah, I will be mean for 15, 16 years. I don't mind. And when you're 60, you'll be complaining about me being overbearing, but not about being molested. Hallelujah! I'm okay with that. And they'll say, but you didn't get molested?
Roll your eyes till they go to the back of your head. I do not care. So our culture perfects our value. Oh, sweet Jesus. Let's blame it on Corey. Corey, worship went so long. I cannot believe how long that worship went. All these people want to get home to see what happened in the World Cup. And so hear me. And so they needed to, they needed to build the wall. But the wall wasn't to keep the enemy out, right? Because they burned offerings on the altar to keep the enemy out. The wall was to protect the glory of God that was in the city. The wall is to protect the glory. The wall is to keep the riffraff out of God's presence. Because they need to come through the right gate. Are you hearing me? They have to come through the right gate. Now, the church, we're never going to be perfect. We're never, why? Because we're in it. As long as we're here, it can never be perfect, right? The perfect church is the dead church, right? But we can be excellent. We can't be perfect, but we can be excellent. And we do want to build the walls and hang the gates on their hinges in a way that protects the glory and people have to come in through the right gate to get to the glory. Are you hearing me? And so our goal is to establish a culture of heaven, right? Out of the glory comes this culture of heaven. We want this culture of heaven to be the culture of this church. We want the culture of this church, we want to export it to the world. That's what we want to do. We want to export this culture of heaven to the world. So we build this wall around the glory. The glory is the encounter that you have in this house. We, we talk about the encounter with God. It's, it's who we are. It's what we do. And we build a wall around that encounter. Then, and you see the wall have arrows pointing outward. Because we want to export this to the world. And so I was in a teaching uh, I was sitting in a meeting, and he was teaching about the wall being built, and the Lord just downloaded an entire vision for the house to me. Just dropped it by spirit. I was like, oh my gosh. I started writing it down, talked to my wife. Someone's like, hey, we got to go to this meeting. I'm like, have it without me. I'm doing something. We need to start now. You need to start now. God, talk to me. This is what I'm doing. <clears throat> and so the center of who we are is, is the encounter with God. Now, we talked about the encounter when we started this service, when we started this church building. Just follow me for another five, ten minutes. Um, the encounter with Jesus is the core of who we are. It's the core of everything we do. Hear me. It's the core. It's, it's the mandate on our house to connect people to the presence and power of God. This salvation, part of the encounter with God. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is part of this encounter with God. And, and if you want to learn more about this, I just preached an entire message series on it. You can download it for free at revivallifechurch.org. Intercession, impartation, impartation, anything that's on your life that you got from God, you can freely give it away. And not only can you, you should. Amen. Anything that God has given you freely that he tells you to give away and you don't give it. God has blessed your finances, right? God has blessed your finances. He tells you to give away money. You don't, and you don't want to give it away. You don't own that money. That money owns you. Anything God has given you that he tells you to give away and you're hesitant to give it away, you don't own it. It owns you. And so this impartation that he gives us, we freely give it away. And this, this encounter with God changes everything. And so as we build this wall around the encounter, <clears throat> the first thing uh, that, that we deal with in this wall around your encounter, I, I, want, this, I want you to understand the, the culture of our house, but I also want to challenge you to build a culture that protects what you value in your family and in your life. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you what we have built in our house, and I hope in your personal lives and in your ministry and in your families, you'll consciously build a culture 
that protects what you value. So the first thing that we think that God uh, wants to work on, once you have this encounter and you have been exposed to the glory, is wholeness. Now, in Greek, the word wholeness that we're using here, salvation, is sozo. Sozo means salvation, healing, and deliverance. In 2 Corinthians 4, um, Paul says, Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed. Hear me. Day by day. Our inner man has been exposed to sin our whole lives, and it needs to be renewed after salvation. Do you hear me? We need salvation. We need healing. We need deliverance. And, and this looks like this. I used to be on my own. Now I'm not. I used to be doing my own thing, trying to set up my own life. Now I have been adopted by a loving father. God is in a good mood. He's happy and he's a loving father. He loves you in everlasting love and he can do something about anything in your life that's wrong. This is who he is and he loves you. And so there is this inner man, that our soul life, and that soul life has to be healed. It has to reflect this new kingdom that you're a part of. Because before, you weren't part of this new kingdom. You were just on your own being led by sin. Now, God wants you to be part of his kingdom, and your soul built up all kind of ways to react to sin. God wants to heal that. He wants to heal the orphan spirit that we have. You may have had an amazing family. You may have grown up in an amazing house. You may have grown up with amazing mom and dad. You may have grown up with a horrible mom and dad. You may have been abandoned. You may have been abused. Hear me. Until you have met Father God, you are an orphan on the planet. Life begins with knowing the Father. And so we have an orphan spirit because we were orphans until we were adopted. And that being an orphan does something to our hearts that God wants to heal. Salman, can you play my music for me? When we come into an encounter with God and we allow him to begin working on our hearts and he begins to deal with this orphan spirit, he begins to give us identity. He begins to give us purpose. He begins to empower us to forgive. He begins to work out a prosperous soul. Turn it down a little bit for me. He begins to turn out a prosperous soul. When before our soul was not prosperous... Bless you. He now wants us to be in health and prosperous. Are you hearing me? This is what God wants to do in your life. And many people, they have an amazing, impactful encounter with God and wonder why their ministry never goes anywhere because they've not dealt with the issues of the heart. They wonder why their loved one doesn't love God the way they do. And it's the issues of the heart that keeps us from loving the way God has loved us. Unfortunately, the world has cast their eyes upon the least healed Christians and has branded us all with their identity. When Jesus, Jesus clearly demonstrated to us that when we're fully forgiven, we can live fully forgiving. And it's God's heart that we fully forgive, just as Jesus gave us forgiveness. But the orphan spirit, the unhealed soul, holds on to offenses. And these offenses are cancer in our soul. So when we go to minister out of the encounter, out of our experience, it goes through this unhealed soul and it looks like cancer. We don't walk in the power. We don't walk in the authority. Like the prophet said to the people in Israel, he said, 
You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. It's Jesus' heart that you'd be so filled that you could walk in prosperity. He wants this encounter to produce in your life healing. And I, I have become convinced. I have become convinced that we need to become healing presence. And let me tell you how that happens. That happens when you are always actively engaged in the healing process. And if you're engaged in the inner healing process, when you show up on the scene, healing presence is there. Judgment doesn't heal people. Bitterness doesn't heal people. Your wisdom on how to fix things doesn't heal people. Only healing presence brings healing. And we live in a broken, orphan world that needs the healing presence of God. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. 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 Father, in the name of Jesus. Ha. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray. I pray that we could embrace this love that you have offered to us. This perfect, loving Father who loves us unconditionally. Who looks down upon us with eyes of grace and eyes of love. Father, I pray that we could walk. In reaction to your love, connected to your love, conduits of your love. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just, we choose to give that free gift of forgiveness as you gave and offered a free gift of forgiveness to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and him being a sacrifice on the cross. Him bearing the weight of sin him going through suffering and death so that we wouldn't have to. And he freely said that we're forgiven. As we freely, undeservedly receive this forgiveness of sinning against you and against your ways. Sinning against love. Sinning against the people in our lives. And you've declared us forgiven. Father, it's our heart today to give away that same forgiveness. To walk as forgiving presence to the world. That we would be people who not only receive forgiveness, but we give forgiveness away and we walk in as forgiving presence. So right now, in the name of Jesus, turn up the music if you would, and I'll tell you why in one second. I want you to begin to forgive. God is going to put people on your heart right now that maybe did you wrong, maybe let you down, maybe hurt you. Maybe you're in a relationship and you trusted somebody and they betrayed you. I'm here to let you know today, the only way to get free of that is to forgive. The only way today is to say that they don't deserve forgiveness, but it's a free gift I give them. They owe me nothing. It's now between them and Christ. When you do that, you transfer that debt off of you. They no longer owe you. It's between them and Jesus. And Jesus then says, I'll take that debt and I will give you the payment. And I'll set you free of the hurt that came from it. Turn the music up, please. So what I'd like you to do this morning is if you're brave enough if you've not received the forgiveness from Jesus, 
Between you and God right now, turn off the music. Between you and God right now, I want you to just ask him, Lord, would you please forgive me of my sins? I've done things that were wrong and I've come up short. And you're going to have to use your mouth and you're going to mumble it. And I would like people all over the room to do that right now. Even if you've done it every day and you've done it a hundred times, I would like everybody in the room to do it so that those who are doing it for the first time, nobody knows. This is not necessarily the time to become public with your faith. I just want to bring you to a place of faith right now. And you say, Jesus, I did things that were wrong. I know they're wrong and maybe... I'm not at a place where I can be public with this, but I want to receive your forgiveness today. Come on, tell them. Make the music louder. I want to receive your forgiveness today. I receive your forgiveness today. I declare that you are Lord and I am not. And thank you for taking my sin. Shake Kabada. And I declare, I declare as you pray that right now, that you are forgiven. You are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and you declare that He is your, your, your sacrifice for sin, that you are set free from your sin. You are a new creature, creature in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things are made new. And it's between you and God. It's not about church. It's between you and God. At some point, you'll want to come public with that. This is not what I'm doing today, though. But I would be miss if I didn't give you that opportunity. But now I want you to give that gift away right now. Everybody, right now. Holy Spirit is going to bring things to your heart. He's going to bring offenses that are still living in your heart. Hurts, bitterness. And I want to help you get free of that today. So with your own words right now, I want you to begin forgiving people. And I want you to use words like this. I forgive you, Joe, for lying to me or robbing me or doing whatever. I, I release you from that right now. And I declare that's between you and God. You owe me nothing. And I want you to keep doing that until you run out of things to say. Amen? Amen, Pastor. Come on. Begin right now. Begin right now. I forgive you. I forgive you for doing this. I forgive you, Mom. I forgive you for not being able to show me the love I really needed. I forgive you, Dad, that you weren't the father that I always wanted in my life and that you put other things more important than me. I forgive you. I forgive you, brother, sister, co-worker, former lover. You got to use words. You got to speak it with your mouth. You can't think it. You got to use words. Your words have power. Come on. Speak it out. I forgive you. And you just keep going until the Lord stops bringing people to your heart. You may be surprised who you're still offended with. It's not God's heart to condemn you, to make you feel bad. It's, it's his heart to get you free. So he's bringing up offenses right now in your heart. And you're saying, I forgive you. Maybe you had a pastor who let you down. Maybe you had a friend who betrayed you. Maybe things didn't work out and it wasn't your fault. Why don't you go ahead and just begin to forgive. Release it right now. All over the room, release it right now. Release it right now. And if you would close your eyes and, and bow your head if you would. And just between you and God right now, begin to speak it. I don't want anybody looking around right now. I just want to know who I'm praying with. Nobody looking at me. I don't want anybody to see what's happening. And if that's you, if God is speaking to you right now, I just want to pray that you're able to forgive. Just put your hand up and down so I can know who I'm praying for. God is saying you need to just forgive people. Who is that? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Up and down real quick. Yeah, people put them down. A couple more. He's just speaking to your heart right now. They hurt your feelings. They weren't kind. They didn't treat you with kindness. The Father, in the name of Jesus, these who've raised their hand right now, I see you. Uh, I just declare forgiveness, the power to forgive, in the restoring of their soul. Do you have anybody else to forgive? All over this room, many people, you've not forgiven yourself. You've not forgiven yourself for failing. You've not forgiven yourself for not making better choices. You've not forgiven yourself for being more diligent. You've not forgiven yourself for making that mistake. Many of you even believe that the abuse is your fault. 
Bible says we're not allowed to judge people, and that includes you. So many of you right now, this, this, you think, no, I'm just being humble. No, you're being judgmental and you're binding yourself to something you're not supposed to be bound to. I want you right now to just forgive yourself and release yourself from your shortcomings. Maybe you were the best parent you could be and now you look back and say, man, I blew that pretty bad. God doesn't want you living in condemnation. He wants you to be free. You need to forgive yourself and be a better person. Maybe you weren't a great spouse. Maybe you weren't a great employee. Maybe you weren't a great friend. Maybe you weren't even good to yourself. It's time to repent and release yourself from that bondage. I feel the anointing on that. I declare restoration of the soul. I declare restoration of the soul right now. And I declare you to be healing presence to people in this world. That you'll be able to bring this healing presence. And you would tell people, you would see who's bound in that. And you'd bring them to the house of the Lord. You would bring them to a place of restoration. You would bring them to a place of forgiveness. You would bring them to a place of wholeness. So they can live in wholeness. They can live in a place of healing. They can live in a place of beauty. Pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We love you, we love you, we love you. And I just pray for these people under the sound of my voice. I pray that this week you would walk them through the scriptures and show them how much they're loved, how much you just rejoice over them, how how much you're excited about them. You would show them they have an amazing future and that they're part of a family, they're part of a community, that they're part of a house, that they're part of a community that loves them and cares about them. And you've put them exactly where they're supposed to be to reach those people around them. Thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Now listen, before you go anywhere, there's going to be some people here at the front, a prayer team, and they're going to pray for anybody who wants prayer. Maybe you need to be walked through some of this stuff. Maybe you need to be released. Maybe you need to hear somebody let you know that you're forgiven or that you're loved. Or you just need prayer for healing in your body or deliverance. Don't leave this place without receiving prayer for anything that you might need. Uh, there's going to be some, I'm going to be, my wife and I are going to be in the lobby. We'd love to meet you if you're a guest. If you're not a guest, we'd still like to talk to you. And there's going to be some stuff. I don't know what the fun stuff is out there, but I saw cupcakes that look delicioso. So you might want to grab one of those. God bless you. Love on somebody before you leave. If you're, if you came here alone, don't leave alone. Talk to somebody. Let God do something in your heart today. Let him start that healing process. Amen. Amen. Give a clap off from the Lord, if you would, please. Amen. Amen.